What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here on this Wednesday, October the 27th, the year 2021. Got lots to do, lots to talk about here on this midweek show, the last full week of the month of October. Uh, Get into the Chiefs, who are a dead caucus walking and an absolute disgraceful performance against the Titans on Sunday. Recap that. You better believe I got a lot to say about my Cincinnati Bengals, your Cincinnati Bengals, our Cincinnati Bengals going into M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore this past Sunday and taking care of business against the division rival Baltimore Ravens 41-17. Giving my two cents on Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers and how Shanahan has screwed over the 49ers with his handling of the quarterback position in their uh, Sunday night football loss to the Colts uh, a few days back, and of course get into the uh, World Series and give you a couple of uh, cliff notes uh, that I didn't have a chance to give you on the back end of the NL and ALCS, which wrapped up uh, this past weekend. But first things first, we will lead, we'll save the Bengals for later, and we'll save the World Series for later, and we will begin with uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, who are free-falling, and I'm not talking about, uh, you know, the great Tom Petty song, but they are in free-fall, and they are falling fast right before our very eyes. They were an absolute disgraceful performance, uh, losing to the Titans on the road 27-3. to I mean, they, I don't know. I, I have no idea what the heck is wrong with I mean, I understand what is wrong, but they, you know, they should, it should not be, you know, practically finished the first two months of the season and this team has a is and this team has a sub 500 record i mean i i don't know their defense stinks which is uh which is first things first their defense is so mind-bogglingly horrendous it is it is absolutely mind-boggling they only got their ryan Tannehill once Ryan Taylor only had six incompletions the entire game, threw for two seventy and a touchdown pass in the game. They they like they like the Ravens in that two thousand and nineteen AFC divisional playoff game. Got fooled and got caught with their uh, pants around their ankles with the with the Derrick Henry uh, Tim Tebow esque jump pass on the goal line that uh, that that was good for five yards and a touchdown in the first half. They got caught with their pants around their ankles with. Derrick Henry throwing a touchdown pass, uh, and, one, and and all things being fair and all things being considered, they only held the Titans to 103 yards rushing as a team, and they kept Derrick Henry to below 100, held below 90 yards rushing, and still Derrick Henry found a way to take over and 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 enforce his will on the game by throwing that goal line touchdown pass on a trick play, and then of course AJ Brown who just went off and absolutely lost his mind with eight receptions, 130 three yards receiving and a touchdown catch in the game. Uh, I watched the little can I watched the little convent you know the little NFL game pass 45 minute version of the game because of course if you all follow me on social media and listen to the program you know I you know I, unlike the typical NFL Sunday I wasn't in front of the TV from you know from one to a quarter to midnight I I you know I had I went to the Bengals and Ravens game so the updates that I did get about this Titan uh, Chiefs game as was going on was the updates I got 
on the Jumbotron in the stadium and on the out-of-town scoreboard at M&T Bank and checking my phone on Twitter and everything else. And But I ended up uh, having to watch the 45-minute version of this game and the Chiefs defense. I mean, just... My goodness gracious! I mean, I understand that I understand that you know when they were when they went to back-to-back Super Bowls, they weren't necessarily you know the steel curtain. They were an average. They were a, an average defense, and with their offense, which could do no wrong at that point in time, back in 2019, 2020, they could do no wrong, and all they needed was an average defense in order for them to uh, in order for them to win football games. Now the fact that their defense their defense is not even average; it's below average. Along the lines of worse than all of football. I mean, the the Kansas City Chiefs. Let's call it like we see it, folks. The Kansas City Chiefs have a defense of a, of a team that's looking to get a, a top five draft pick in football. I mean, let's 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 not dance around the issue. Let's call it for what it is. And as and as the title sake of the show, let's tell like T.I. is the Chiefs. De- the, the 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 quality of the Chiefs defense is one is one of like a, a franchise. That's looking at okay, you know. Oh, that's this looking at okay, uh, you know. If we lose this, this, and this, you know, do we line ourselves up uh, for us getting the top five pick in next April's draft? That's how bad. Th- that's how bad their defense is. That's how. That's how bad their defense is. Their defense is, is along the lines of a team that should be tanking for a top five draft pick. Their team is that. Their defense is that terrible. They can't generate a pass rush again. They got the Ryan Tannehill once, albeit they held Derrick Henry in check. But at the but on the flip side, they allowed him to throw a touchdown pass, and they got absolutely cooked, cooked and destroyed, roasted, whatever word you want to use, by AJ Brown, who was a one man wrecking crew in the passing attack, allowing uh, the Titans to put up 27 sec- uh, first half points, which is absolutely unacceptable. I mean, they they went into they went into halftime. Down twenty, down, uh, down twenty-seven to nothing. Ended the first quarter down fourteen nothing. Their defense is an absolute disgrace, and it's not, and it's not a defense of a uh, perennial Super Bowl contender. I can tell you that right now. And then of course you go, and then of course you turn your head to the, to the Kansas City offense, which, uh, which, which is even worse at times. Turn over the football left and right. Mahomes has 11 turnovers this season. That's the most he's ever had, including the playoffs in 17 games in 2019, where he turned over the football nine times, or in 18 games in 2020, including the playoffs, where he turned over the ball 10 times. And that 27-point deficit was the largest deficit he went. He he had to uh, deal with in his career. He went. He went even down 27 points in the Super Bowl for crying out loud. Derrick Henry, um, through his first career uh, passing touchdown in the regular season, he joined LT Ladanian Thompson. That is in 2000, who did in 2005. It's the only players with 10 rushing touchdowns and a passing touchdowns in his team's first seven games of the season in the Super Bowl era. Um, see if I give you another stat here, which was surprising. Mahomes. First career game without 250 passing yards or a touchdown pass, and through an interception, is sixth straight game long as his career. The bottom line is, is that, and and everyone, and everyone sits up here and makes it. Oh well, it's not a big deal. Oh well, it's not a big deal. All they got to do is just stop turning over the football. I tweeted it out last week during the Wash during the first half of the Washington game. 
turning over the football for the Kansas City Chiefs is something that that a short time ago in 20 in 2018 2019 2020 was not that long ago 2020 was just last season and in their 2019 Super Bowl season was a short two years ago wasn't that long ago not that far removed from being Super Bowl. come on something it was something I tweeted out during the Washington game and I'll say it here turning over the football was something that Kansas City did few and far and in between. It went from something that they rarely did to something that's now become an addiction. Mahomes has thrown nine interceptions this season and one in each of his last six games, the longest of his career. They turn over the ball ad infinitum. It, again, I, I say it tongue in cheek, but I, but I really, it's become an addiction with them. Last six games, they can't help but turn over the football. They can't. They can't. They cannot help themselves. It's become a major issue. Mahomes. Mahomes is you know thinking he's Lamar Jackson. Just get the when you get the first down, just go down. You're not Lamar. You're not Michael Vick. Get the first down. Get down. You know decides he wants to be Superman. Comes back to bite him in the ass. He fumbles the football. Turns it over. And throws another interception, turns it over. Turn over the ball twice on Sunday. Fumbled the ball, threw an interception. Something that Mahomes and Kansas City rarely did. Now, part of me is shocked by this because I did pick the Chiefs to go back to the Super Bowl. Part of me is shocked by it. But the other part of me isn't shocked by it because... I said it all last season that the Chiefs, many a time throughout the 2020 regular season, they got lucky. They got lucky. They they they, they had they had the lucky horseshoe in their back pocket. They had the four-leaf clover in their sock. They got lucky. There were many a times and many a circumstances where where the Kansas City Chiefs won football games that they had no business winning. And quite a few against subpar opponents. Fortunate as hell to beat the Panthers and to beat the Falcons at home. Should have lost to the Patriots. I believe that was either in late September, early October. The game that got that had to get pushed to the Monday night because Cam Newton tested positive for COVID. And and I tell you, and I said at the time, and I'll say it again. And I still say it. I, I understand Cam Newton's off the is is not on the Patriots and it's water underneath the bridge. You can't cry over spilled milk. But I am still convinced. And at that point in time, Cam Newton was playing his best football that I have seen that I've seen him play at that point in time since his 2015 MVP season. And I think they were coming off. I'm not positive. But I think that game was either right after or two weeks after Cam Newton came within an eyelash of beating the Seahawks in that week two Sunday night game. And he gets unfortunate tests for test positive for COVID. And, a, and Mahomes, and I remember, I think it was right before the half, Mahomes fumbled the football that should have been ruled the fumble touchdown Patriots. Patriots get screwed by the refs, ironically enough, and, and somehow some way they rule Mahomes down. When you look at the replay, you know good and damn well that he wasn't. 
should have got lucky and got fortunate. You know, he threw a uh, he threw what should have been a uh, interception, which would have sealed the game for the Falcons. The, the ball hits the hits the Falcons' uh, defensive back right in the hands, and he drops it in the end zone. I mean, you go back and look at many a times, many a times where the Chiefs where the Chiefs won games that they had no business winning, and and Mahomes threw interceptions that should have been interceptions, but for whatever the reason, the defensive players that he threw the, that that would that would somehow find that the but for whatever the reason, the defensive players that the ball would miraculously find. They, 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 you know, they couldn't for whatever the reason haul in for interceptions. Now every single time the ball go, now, now it's the exact opposite where the, where the Chiefs are losing the games that they should be losing because of how they're playing and they turn over the football left and right where where they can't where they can't help themselves but give the defense a couple of possessions. They're, I'm telling you, they're in trouble. They are they are in trouble because you cannot. Be a Super Bowl contender when your defense stinks and you turn over the ball left and right. Yes, I understand Mahomes is, is still one of the best quarterbacks in the sport. Yes, I understand he's an MVP. Yes, I understand he's Super Bowl MVP. Yes, I understand Andy Reid this and Tyreek Hill that and Travis Kelsey. I, I get that. But, you know, name and cachet is not going to. In, ca- in case you guys haven't noticed, Opposing teams don't care that don't care about Patrick Mahomes' short but impressive resume to this point. They don't care about Kelsey and what he's done. They don't care about Tyree Kill. They don't care about the fact that Andy Reid is soon going to go into the Hall of Fame when it's all said. And they don't care about that, and nor shouldn't they. What they care about is how they're doing at this point and moment in time. They don't care about that other stuff, and they shouldn't care about the other st- about that other extra stuff. And most importantly, they're not afraid of them. They're not afraid of them. And to beat the Kansas City Chiefs of the world, you can't be afraid of them. You you, you can't. You got to go for the gusto. You got to put the stake. You got to put the knife through them and finish them. Which is which is why. Kansas City ended up beating Washington because Washington is such a pathetic football team that they didn't put the, the stake through them when they had the opportunity to. And Kansas City, in all, in all intents and purposes, should have lost that game prior to the Titan one. But you, I mean, they're sitting here at three and four. They're two and two on the road. I mean, what outside of outside and they and they had no business beating Cleveland in week one. If the think about it, if the Browns don't screw up the snap on, on the punt earlier early in the fourth quarter, which gave Kansas City ideal field position, they could they could they could easily be what? Two and five? And if Washington and if Washington showed any guts and showed any gumption, they could easily be one and six. So uh, escaping escaping Cleveland and beating the garbage of the NFC East on the road are not exactly impressive victories. And again, I said I said I've said it, you know, for the last I don't know how many times over the last I don't know how many weeks they're losing to teams. 
that if they do get themselves together, if they do end up going on a nice little hot streak, hot run here, still plenty of season left, still got 10 games left, but even if they do, say, run the table and they finish the season 13-4, and four, they're losing to teams that they can't afford to lose to when it comes to tiebreakers. The Chargers at home, Buffalo at home, the Ravens on the road. And again, unlike previous years, you don't get the one seed, you're playing wild card weekend. And a team that has had to go, has had to play long seasons from 2018 till from 20 from the 2018 season to as recently as last year's team have had to play long seasons the 16 games in 2018 plus plus the two playoff games 18 game 18 game season in essence from week 1 to 2018 to the AFC championship game against the Patriots which went into overtime the 2019 from week one of that season up until Super Bowl Fifty Four, with uh, with the with the with the two playoff home games, and then of course and and having to come back in those two uh, in those two home playoff games against Houston and Tennessee, and then in twenty twenty, from week one from week one against the Texans up until Super Bowl Fifty Five against the Bucks. Having to play the having to play the two home playoff games, having to fight tooth and nail, just having to fight tooth and nail to beat the Browns in the divisional playoff game, and then and then having to beat the Bills in the AFC Championship game. So that's eighteen games, eighteen games in twenty eight in twenty in twenty eighteen, nineteen games in twenty nineteen and in twenty twenty, and then you head into twenty twenty one. You add the extra game, which I can't stand. But you add the seventeenth extra game. On top of the fact that if, even if they somehow luck out and get the one seed, they get the 17 games with the regular season, and they will play 19 games alone just to make it back to the AFC Championship game. So they won't even ha- they won't even have to make the Super Bowl. And if they and if they somehow some way catch lightning in a bottle one last time and get the one seed where the AFC has to come through Kansas City, they have to play 19 games and and that's before they have an opportunity to play in the Super Bowl. Win or lose, they play in an AFC Championship game as the one seed. That's 19 games in and of itself. If they don't get the one seed and somehow make the AFC Championship game, that's 20 right out the gate. And if they make the Super Bowl not being a one seed, that's 21 games. If they make the Super Bowl as a one seed, that's 20 games. On top of playing 18 in 2019 and 19 games of note from week one regular season to the Super Bowl and back-to-back years. You get tired after a while. And I get it, and they're human, they're not robots, I get that, and I'm not faulting them for that, but it's, it's just the way it is. They're human. They, they're going to have fatigue. They are going to be more exhausted in the, if, they, you know, if they straighten things around and make them. They're going to be more exhausted going up against a, uh, you know, a, uh, a, a charger, 
a, going up against a Charger, a Titan, a, a Bengals knock on wood, a, a, a Raider team, teams that have either have have made the playoffs in seasons past but have not gone very far, or teams that are just making the playoffs for the first time in quite a few, they're going to be t- they're going to be more exhausted as a team that's been there, done that, got the T-shirt literally. Than a team that's than an up and coming new squad that's 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 well rested because this is the first time playing in the playoffs in quite a few years that's going to be filled with energy, raring to go. Odds are, if a if a uh, if a uh, Raider or a Bengal team were to go up against Kansas City in the playoffs, they'd be an underdog, especially if the game is on the road, and there'd be no pressure on them compared to say a Kansas City squad. Who's been who's been playing football into late January, early February since 2018? That's one, two, three straight seasons in a row. And oh, by the way, the Super Bowl is pu- is 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 pushed back a week, which is something I also can't stand. But the Super Bowl is also pushed back a week, which means that's an extra week of essentially doing football activity and having to practice and in meetings and all that sort of stuff. So you add. So you add the fact that, that the Super Bowl, if they're fortunate to make it back, put and you have to add on to the fact that the playoffs are pushed back a week because of the 17th extra game, which is an also which you also add into the equation. On top of the fact that if they don't get the number one seed, they're going to have to play wild card weekend. Something that this Kansas City squad has not been under Mahomes' reign has not been able or not not I shouldn't say not been able, but haven't uh, had the opportunity to do. On top of the fact that in 2019, on 2018, 19, and 20, with the regular, the way it should should still be, the regular 16 game, you know, one two C get the buy scenario. On top of the fact they had to play three seasons with those with those long with those long seasons, so they're in trouble. And the point that I'm trying to make is, even if they do turn it, turn it around. I don't. I don't see Kansas City playing in the Super Bowl. Even if they do turn it around and save their season, I don't think they're going to make it to the Super Bowl. Because then, if they turn it, because then if they turn it around, somehow win the division, and by the grace of God get the one seed, they're going to be tired. On top of the again the long seasons of of previous years. And then they're going to be so exhausted having to essentially fight, scratch, tooth and nail along with the Chargers and the Raiders in their own division to keep them off. And, they, and they're going to get to the playoffs and they're going to be exhausted to the point where they run into a Cleveland if Cleveland turns itself around, they run into a Baltimore, a Cincinnati knock on wood, the Raiders, the Chargers, the Buffalo Bills, and they're going to and they're going to be winded. They're not going to have anything else left in the tank. Outside of Mahomes, that team is not exactly filled with a bunch of spring chickens. Kelsey's in his early thirties. Matthew's been around, been around the block for a couple of seasons. You know, Chris Jones is is is, is not a rookie. Tyreek Hill's been around for a little while. Outside of Mahomes, the 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 nucleus of that football team—they're not old farts, but they're not exactly you know spring chickens with a couple of, of with a couple of NFL seasons underneath their belt. They, they've been around. They've run. They've been around the block a little, for a little bit. 
on top of the fact that they got to play a 17th extra game, which I can't stand. But they've been around. But they've been around the block a little bit. Been around the block. What was that, Al Pacino? They've been around. And the, and just the, they turn over the football left and right. Mahomes is overthrowing his receivers. He's overthrowing Kelsey. Trying to do too much. Trying to play the hero instead of just taking what the defense gives them. I mean, they're just doing incredible. They, they, they're doing too much. They're, they're too extra. And I tell you something right now. They're not, and they, they can't run the ball. They cannot, they cannot run the ball. When, when Mahomes is your leading rush with 35 yards and he can't even crack 80 yards rushing as a team, and, 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 Derrick, and Derrick Henry, your defense still holds Derrick Henry in check, and he still outrushes your entire football team, you're, you're in sad shape. You're in sad shape. And I, and I tell you something right now. The Chiefs are going to rule, are going to rue the day. They're going to rue the day that they let what should have been because he deserved it. He put the team on his back and scored the touchdown to give him the lead and then scored the touchdown to put the game on ice. They're going to rue the day that they let Damian Williams walk out the door. He took last year off because of COVID because he wanted to take care of his mother uh, with cancer, God bless his soul. And 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 then 2021, they ship him out the door because I've oh, got a new, better toy, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who's going to miss some time because his knee screwed up. They're going to rue the day that they that they let Damian Williams walk out the door because I don't know because cockiness, arrogance, I don't know what it is, but you know, for 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 a guy that essentially. Out, again, outside of Mahomes' heroic fourth quarter, outside of him, for a guy that, that basically, again, outside of Mahomes, won Kansas City their first Super Bowl in 50 years, they, they, they sure cut, cut ties with them in, at, 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 the drop, at the drop of a hat. I mean, for I mean, think about it. For a player, I understand about about the about the troubles and the and and the risk you take with signing with giving running backs big time contracts in twenty twenty one NFL football. But I but some things some things transcend you know the the little GM tendencies and trends that's going on with the sport. You don't in any circumstances. Uh, have a player who's a good player, Damian Williams, who scored who scored the two touchdowns, which essentially won you the Super Bowl against the 49ers in that fourth quarter. Takes a year off because of COVID, wants to take care of his mother, which is a which is a heartwarming, enduring, or excuse me, endearing and respectable thing. It's respectable. Takes a year off, wants to take care of his mother with cancer during during a pandemic. I'd have no issues with that, none. That that's an admirable. No, no one should or no one I think did quibble about that. Got his priorities in order. Takes care of his sick parent during a pandemic. No issues with that. But for but for them to allow him to walk out the door prior to this season, I mean, come on. And they and they are going to rue the day that they did that to him. Because even last year, their off their offense wasn't exactly the same without Damian Williams. I'm not trying to make I'm not trying to make uh, you know Damian Williams out to be the Nigerian nightmare, but uh, come on, 
That's a joke. They're going to rue the day they let him go. I mean, he you know he he wins you guys your first Super Bowl in fifty years, and he takes a year off because of COVID, and then it's sayonara. I mean that 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 is up there. That is up there with the Ravens trading Anquan Bolden to the 49ers. You know, essentially three, four weeks after the uh, Lombardi par- after the parade heading down Russell Street. That's up there with one of the dumbest moves I I've seen in my lifetime by a by a Super Bowl by a Super Bowl uh, championship team in the aftermath of winning a championship. That dumb. But Kansas City's in a heap of trouble. They can't run the football. They turn over the football left and right again. Something that they rarely did has now become an addiction. Mahomes trying to play super superhero, trying to play Superman. You know, here I come to save the day. He's, he's just doing too much, overthrowing his receivers, fumbling the football, and throwing interceptions left and right. They're in a world of trouble. And and all I and another thing too that I'm, that also got sick and tired of hearing too, you know, all I heard about heading up heading up uh, leading up into the Super Bowl about uh, what ten months ago, no eight months ago, was uh, oh, Steve Spagnuolo this Steve Spagnuolo that, uh, you know the, the 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 defensive game plan he punched up when he was the coordinator for the Giants back in 07, you know stopping the uh, perfect undefeated Patriot team and. He knows how to defeat Brady and blah, 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 blah. And his defense did nothing but lay a complete big fat egg in the Super Bowl. In moments leading up to the Super Bowl, all I, you know, I heard Spagnolo this, Spagnolo that, as if he was the second coming of uh, Buddy Ryan. I mean, give me a break. Steve Spagnolo is not a big-time defensive coordinator, in case you haven't noticed. But the Chiefs are in a heap of trouble. Defense stinks. The offense gets very stagnant at times. Can't score. Turns over the football left and right. You know, that they'll they'll get back to they'll get back to five hundred because they get a break because they play the Giants at home on Monday Night Football. But then but then they go through a rough stretch the next three games after that, having to play Green Bay at home on the road against Vegas who over the last couple of years have had the Chiefs number anyway. I mean, for for a short period of time, it seemed like the only team that had the formula to beating the Kansas City Chiefs was the uh, was the Vegas Raiders. And then they get and then and then they get Dallas the sun the uh, Sunday before Thanksgiving. Then they get a break with Denver the first Sunday in December and it's back and then it's back to the grindstone again having to go up against Vegas Having to go up against Vegas, the Chargers in uh, the Chargers in um, Los Angeles, and uh, the and Pittsburgh, and then you know the Bengals. Who knows? But that's where we begin on this midweek program, Kansas City, and of course the Titans just being a weird football team. They knock they knock off the Bills, they knock off the Bills, and they knock off. Uh, the at home on Monday Night Football, and then they knock off the Chiefs six days later, and yet they gave the Jets their first win of the season back in early October. Weird football team, very weird football team. Take a break. Just getting started. I'm Telekatia's podcast. 
Welcome back to the Amateur Like a TIS podcast. Switching gears now to the magnificent performance, and it was magnificent, of my Cincinnati Bengals. Yes, sir! Taking care of uh, the Baltimore Ravens by the final score of 41 to 17 on Sunday. Um, just to give you a, a huge overlap, I'll get to the game details in a minute, but first off, uh, in case you didn't see, or if you don't follow me on Twitter and Instagram, which you should at the J Shield, by the way, I was uh, ever so fortunate to go to the game uh, on Sunday, thanks to uh, the great, uh, the great guy that he is, and friend of great friend, and I'm fortunate to call him a friend of mine, and he's friend of the show, the great Christopher Mad Dog Russo. Uh, sending yours truly to the game on Sunday. I took my sister, who, uh, who of course is uh, one of the most passionate Ravens fans that I know, as uh, as recently as 2018, 2019. Um, took her, took my brother, who you know was bored stiff, waiting for his Seahawks to uh, spit the bit on Monday Night Football, which they ended up doing uh, with the Seahawks. So he, I took him, my sister. And, of course, uh, my older cousin, Kendall, who I consider like an older sister to me, who was home for the weekend uh, from uh, Salisbury University. I took her uh, to the game uh, with me as well. Um, It was a fantastic game, fantastic experience. Uh, Walking down Ravens Walk, the atmosphere of going to a football game is unlike any that you can experience with the baseball, and I, and I love the Orioles, and I love going to baseball games, but just there's just just a different feeling and a different just sense of energy you get from go, uh, when it comes to going to a football game. You, you really felt, you know, and it's funny you thinking, you know, this time last year you weren't doing any of this. You weren't, you know, Maryland, Maryland. The Ravens had one game with fans in it. And I guarantee you, it, it was a probably it was, and I didn't go that game. It was a game which they lost to the Steelers in early November, and that was it. And you know, it's the one game that fans were allowed to go to, and then that was all she wrote for 2020. So they played the majority of their game. The Ravens did without fans uh, last uh, last season. Seth seven out of their eight home games they play without fans but you can you can just think about you know going through with the pandemic and you know had not you know everybody that you had to wear masks when you were indoors you know and the in uh, the the concourse it was kind of iffy but they made you wear it if you were going into the team store not that i went in but they had the signs outside of it you had to wear a mask you know going into the bathroom but outside of that it was you know it was fine Packed house, you know, Ravens fan, you know, this is a uh, a tremendous, tremendous football city. Uh, whether you know, day back in in the in the mid in the mid late fifties with the Colts, and of course with the Ravens for the last twenty five years. Uh, you know, this is a, this is a city that loves, loves, loves its NFL football. Uh, Ravens have been competitive. You don't need me to tell you that they've been competitive for the majority of their history. Heading into this game, they had the best record in all of the AFC, riding high on a five-game winning streak in first place. So the energy was absolutely tremendous. You saw a few Bengals fans here and there. I did, uh, not a, not a ton of them, but a good little amount. You know, throughout the concourse, walking 
walking down Ravens Walk, heading into the stadium, and and they were and actually where I sat, which was in section five fifty three midfield on the Bengals sideline up in the upper deck, which I'll get to in a minute. Um, there was quite a few Bengals fans that sat in my section, which was nice. So it was me and a few Bengals fans that were getting hyped uh, while uh, my Bengals were just uh, kicking ass and taking names on Sunday, which I will get to as far as the intricacies of the game in a minute. Um, but it was just a phenomenal, phenomenal experience. And the reason why I sat in the upper deck uh, was because a you know is you're more you. You know, a, it, the you know it was the one of, I said it last week on the show was one of the more highly anticipated and one out of the two decent matchups heading into what was a lackluster week seven in the NFL uh, this past weekend. That was the first thing, and you know you're gonna have a tougher time finding good seats for a football game of a team that's you know five and one that's a Super Bowl contender versus you know a hundred loss Baltimore Orioles team. You know that's going nowhere, taking on the uh, hapless Miami Marlins. So that was the, that's the first thing. And the other thing is that I have a little bit of a conspiracy theory going, because uh, if you listen to Christopher Maddox Russo about over uh, over a month ago in September, he went on a rant because I dared to uh, text him to say that to compare the '86 New York Football Giant defense with the uh, 2000 Ravens defense was quote unquote. Uh, blasphemy. That's what I. That's what I said, and he proceeded to lose his mind on the radio for about ten, fifteen minutes. And and on top of that, and on top of the fact that he's done nothing but kill, Ray, but kill uh, Ray Lewis. No pun intended. Over the last the twenty years with the whole uh, double murder fiasco that took place down in Atlanta the weekend of Super Bowl 34 back in January of 2000 he's not and he's not exactly been a uh, big time Ravens supporter or slash Ravens fan over the last whatever it might be since he's been on the radio and uh, and uh, and, and, it's, and why did I bring that up well because if you are also a listener of this program you know that uh, one of yours truly's many uh, let's just say love interests that I, uh, you know, that I would hope one day I have the opportunity to meet, date, and f- and possibly marry, is the uh, wonderful, the gorgeous uh, Olivia Cowherd, the daughter of uh, Fox Sports One and Fox Sports Radio's Colin Cowherd, who pulled a move that Dog tried to pull about two weeks prior to this game. And that was to contact the Ravens PR to get to get yours truly the hookup to get me uh, some good seats uh, fields on field level uh, for this uh, Bengals and Ravens contest. And he texted me. He was like, oh, Jay, I don't know. Ravens PR wasn't very helpful, so on and so forth. And uh, good old Colin, you know, took the same approach and took the same route, hit, hit the jackpot. His uh, daughter, which a I had no interest, I had no idea that she was a football fan. B out of all the games she could have chose to go to, why she chose uh, my great city of Baltimore and Bengals Ravens. Also, I found very peculiar. But I, uh, during one of the uh, timeouts during the break, I'm scrolling through Instagram and I saw on her story that she was at the game, which 
which I had no idea. I found a little bit to be, I wasn't, I was surprised, but I thought about it because I looked because on her story about a day ago, uh, you know, she was in the, she was in the Baltimore slash Washington DC area, which I, you know, which I found out, well, you know, what is a girl, you know, who lives on the other side of the country, goes to Arizona State, you know, what's her business in Baltimore? She went to the game and it was because of Colin got the hookup with the Ravens PR people because, uh, you know, I guess he's, he hasn't essentially made a career of bashing the Ravens for 20, 25 years. And Christopher Mad Dog Russo uh, has. So he got denied by Ravens PR. Colin didn't. So the so uh, so uh, Liv Cowherd uh, sat with the Bengals family behind the Bengals sideline on field level, right uh, right in the same section of uh, Joey Franchise's mother, and got a nice picture with her while he was truly was on the same side of the field, sitting uh, in the upper deck uh, with a bunch of uh, drunken Ravens fans. Say something funny, dog. That was funny. But anyway. I, I sat up in the upper deck. She uh, sat field level. And I texted him when I found this out either Sunday or Monday. I forget what day it was. But I texted him. I said, just think, dog. If you would have agreed with me and said the 2000 Raven defense is the greatest of all time, not only would I would have gone to that game with uh, – and, and – you know, go upper deck, upper deck, going to a football game. You know, in that midfield area of the uh, of the stadium, going to a football game, sitting the upper deck is not as bad as you think it is. It's actually, it's actually, especially the way M&T Bank is designed. It's, it's, it's not. It, you know, you'd rather, you know, you'd rather be field level where it's you know up close and personal and and everything, and you know the players are right on top of you. But it's not. But it's not a bad seat and it's not a bad view watching a football game from the upper deck. Baseball, it's a different story, but you know football. You football is not the worst thing in the world sitting in the upper deck. Uh, but ju- I texted dog. I texted dog, and I just and I just said, look, if you would have agreed with me saying the 2000 Raven defense was better than the 86 Giants, I would have not only had the opportunity to sit field level for that Bengals Ravens game the other day, but I would have gotten to have a nice little conversation and gotten a picture with uh, Joey Franchise's mother. Uh, I would have uh, gotten some nice video and photographs of the Bengals players on the sideline. My who maybe maybe you've gotten a picture, a selfie, an autograph with uh, Joe Mixon and the fellas, uh, and would have uh, apologized to Zach Taylor for calling uh, for his head as recently as after the Bear game in Week Two, and I would have walked out of M&T Bank Stadium on Sunday, uh, much to my sister and my older cousin's chagrin. With possibly a uh, a new girlfriend, or at the very minimum, a, a a phone number and an IG follow. Laugh, Zoe. That was funny. Laugh, laugh, laugh. But uh, it wasn't the case. But still, a hell of a day at the bank, uh, nevertheless, because my Bengals absolutely destroyed, destroyed, destroyed. The Baltimore Ravens, and you know it was funny. Heading into that game, I said to myself, "You know what? I need to see, I need to see the Bengals be competitive against the Ravens first. You know, because ever since Lamar Jackson has been QB one uh, for the Ravens the last couple of seasons, they've done nothing but kick the but uh, kick the Bengals' hind parts up and down the field. Patrick Queen uh, made Joe Burrow's life in that defense and made it a living nightmare." 
uh, when they played them last October. I believe the final score of that game was 27-3. to The Bengals were an absolute disgrace in that game and were even worse week 17 in Cincinnati uh in the uh, what the uh, i think that was either january 2nd or january the 3rd of this year 2021 week 17 they got absolutely destroyed Bengals had nothing to play for season was over burrow was hurt for a good month but still so i needed to see the Bengals go into mt bank stadium and 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 show some signs of competitiveness against the ravens and they were not just competitive they were absolutely dominant especially uh, in the second half, much to my surprise, and uh, and they found a way to end the losing streak, which dated back to the uh, I forget what week it was when the when the Bengals played the Ravens in Baltimore in 2018, ending that losing streak. Their first week in Baltimore, their first win in Baltimore since 2018. Uh, they had not won a game prior to Sunday since week two of 2018. That, of course, was the uh, Thursday night game against the Ravens when uh, when A.J. Green uh, somehow, someway caught three touchdown passes in the first half alone week two of, of the 2018 season, uh, his last, uh, his, uh, last uh, shining moment as a Cincinnati Bengal being dubbed the Raven Killer for the years that he was a member of our franchise where he did nothing but destroy the Ravens, uh, you know, uh, twice a year from every year from 2011 to about 2018, 2019. But it was an absolute fantastic performance. Uh, Joe Burrow, who, you know, career high in passing yards, 23 of 38 through for 416 passing yards through for three touchdowns, only got sacked once in the game. Uh, only got sacked once in the game, and that didn't come until the second half. The Ravens got to Joe Burrow early and often with their pass rush. Joe Burrow was not phased by it whatsoever. Uh, he he knew how he. I mean, this is what this is why the Phil Sims of the world and everybody else compares Joe Burrow to you know Joe Montana and and uh, and Dan Fouts and in the in uh, the all time great Hall of Fame quarterbacks. This is why because he sees what the defense gives him. And he and he knows how to make adjustments on the fly. He knew that the Ravens defense, a they got one of the highest blitz blitz rates in all of football this season. And he knew that, internalized that, and says, "All right, well, all I got to do is, you know, if they have if they if there's opportunities where they're going to sack me, I'm gonna make a miss. I'm gonna step up in the pocket. I'm gonna move around, and I'm gonna make sure that I got one Mississippi, two Mississippi, and the ball's going to be out of my hands." And that is one of the main reasons why they only got to Joe Burrow once in that game and why, you know, it was a complete 180 performance from how the Ravens defense played and performed against Joe October of 2020 in that 23-24-3 uh, domination last season. I mean, it was an absolutely phenomenal performance, phenomenal by Joe Burrow. Oh, my goodness, what a day, what a job at the office uh, he had against the Ravens. Absolutely cut him to shreds. Ravens could not, Ravens defense could not get off the field on many a third down occasions. As a matter of fact, the Bengals uh, third down efficiency, they were, they were four of 13, they were four of 13 on third downs. Uh, on third downs in the game, they uh, re- they uh, 
in the Reds, they uh, penalties. They played a clean football game. They committed one penalty, and that was a false start. I believe midway through the fourth quarter is when the Bengals committed their first and only penalty of the game. They won the penalty battle. The Ravens, meanwhile, had five penalties for 46 yards. A penalty on Devin Duvernay uh, in the game was uh, was very dubious. I did not think that was a, a holding penalty on du- on Duvernay, which negated a big catch and run by Mark Andrews, which led to a third and 23 with eight minutes left in the second quarter, in which the Ravens got no got no punts, uh, got no punts or no punts, got no uh, points out of it. Permel McPhee had an undisciplined roughing the passer penalty, which led to a C.J. Uzama touchdown. Uh, the Ravens defense, like I said, could not get off the field on third down, especially in the second half, got cooked up and down the field. How in the world they had that many missed tackles and that Jamar Chase phenomenal uh, catch, catch and uh, touchdown run, I have absolutely no idea from a Raven perspective. The missed tackles that the Ravens defense had in the game was absolutely mind-boggling. They're like C.J. Uzama. Uh, have it or Uzama uh, had his way and had his way. They had allowed him to go absolutely nuts. Uh, three receptions, 91 yards receiving, caught two touchdowns in the game on National Tight End Day. See uh, Joe Mixon, Samaji Pirine had had a couple of nice touchdown runs in the game, and then about, and then how about my guy Jamar Chase? I mean, you want to talk about? And I said it, I said it at the time in April, and I'll say it again. I was not in love. And I was not in favor of drafting Jamar Chase with the fifth round draft pick. My reaction live during the draft was not one of uh, celebration and jubilation when they drafted him, dealing with the scars of, of seeing Joe Burrow getting carted off uh, FedEx Field in November of 2020, coming up on, on the year to date, where he tore his ACL and MCL, franchise quarterback, a guy to protect them. They go out there, they draft the wide receiver. How's he going to throw to Jamar Chase when he's on his back because because of, because of the fact that our offensive line is the equivalent of a bunch of turnstiles? Little did I know, all it took was to cut Bobby Hart, sign Riley Reef. You know, get, draft a couple of offensive linemen in the latter rounds of the draft. And Jamar Chase made me eat, not crow, but made me eat raven. And I am so glad. I have never been more happy to be proven wrong in my life because Jamar Chase is absolutely putting on a show. A career, the best performance he's had in his young career, uh, and thank God I was in the building to see it. Eight receptions, 201 yards receiving, caught a touchdown pass in a game. And he is doing things that are the likes of uh, of uh, of the game's all-time greats. He has he holds the record as the for the most receiving yards in his first career and his first seven career games in the NFL since the AFL NFL merger in 1970. Fifty years in the running, with 754 receiving yards in his first seven games, he leaves Anquan Bolden in 2003 in the dust with 621. Odell in 2014 with 609. Marquez Colston, Drew Brees' old partner in crime in 06. That same team, of course, went on to go to the NFC Championship game with 
577 receiving yards and Stephon Diggs in 2017 with 573. He is also the first rookie with 200 plus receiving yards in a single game since Mike Evans did it in 2014. Also, furthermore, uh, he is the second youngest player in NFL history with a 200-yard receiving game and has the most receiving yards through a play, of course, since uh, in the first seven career games I brought that up. Um, also, uh, let's see, anything else? Burrow, like I said, an abs- put on an absolute, I mean, the Ravens' defense is just absolutely, they were they were horrendous for three quarters. Um, again, they, the best performance they had of the entire season was in that game against the Chargers, and that performance was shortly lived as they allowed Burrow again to throw for over 400 yards, and he has already, Burrow has thrown for already 17 touchdown passes this season, Tying Boomer Esiason, who did it in their in the Bengals' uh, 1988 Super Bowl season, by most by a Bengals quarterback through the first through the team's first seven games of the season in franchise history. The year that Esiason did it, he went on to win NFL MVP, and the Bengals ended up winning the AFC Championship for that season. And Jamar Chase getting back to him, who absolutely cooked and roasted Marlon Humphrey in the game who never allowed more than 143 receiving yards in a game prior to Sunday when Jamar Chase cooked them for for uh, for 201 receiving yards. I mean, and they put on a, I understand that Marlon Humphrey uh, had an interception in the game, but their defense, the Ravens defense that is was absolutely beyond pathetic. Their open field tackling was atrocious. They let Jamar Chase have their way in the game along with CJ Uzama, I might add. You know, they 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 allowed they allowed the uh, Mixon and um and uh, Samaji Piran go off for two big time runs that resulted into touchdowns in the second half of the game and the only quarterbacks in the 25 year history of the Baltimore Ravens franchise to throw for 400 passing yards and three touchdowns in the game, one guy Joey Franchise short list, only he is on it Hey, if you're if you're a Ravens if you if you are a Raven fan in the building, whether at MT Bank Stadium watching that game at a bar or restaurant or at your house, you, you I mean, where was your vomit bag? And let me t- when the Bengals went when uh, when Mixon scored that touchdown to essentially not put the game on ice, but to but to provide a three a three uh, possession separation between Cincy and Baltimore. The fans had it. I was there. I saw it and had the perfect view. To the fans were flooding, flooding for the exit for the exits, and the Ravens fans that were left that still you know had a semi and had a glimmer of hope that Lamar Jackson was going to pull off the BS that he did against the Colts the other night. As soon as Shamaji Piran went into the end zone, there was the nail in the coffin. You know the place was a, it was Hootay Nation Central. And a final few minutes of that game on Sunday, but when the, when the Bengals cracked thirty points to make it a two, uh, to make it a two possession game, Ravens fans had had enough. What would I mean? You you would have thought that let that the, that the fourth quarter comeback with Lamar didn't even happen, because that place because those fans got had, went for those exits so fast it made your head spin. And here I am. Yeah, celebrating the mix and touchdown, but in the back of my head, I'm like, they still got Lamar Jackson. I know the crap he pulled in the fourth quarter against the Colts the other night. This is the Bengals. They find new ways to lose and blow games all the time. 
This ain't over until I either until I either see one more score or until that clock hits triple zeros, whichever one comes first. And lo and behold, it was the Bengals uh, dropping a 40-piece on the Ravens before the clock hit triple zeros to convince me, all right, game's over, total domination, we win, we're 5-2. and two. That also was the largest margin of victory against the Ravens in franchise history. I mean, just an absolute beatdown on the part of my Cincinnati Bengals. Beatdown. Jamar Chase went nuts. And, and and drafting him, now a lot of people, and Adam Shine is one of them who was one of the very few out there that that, that loved the, the, the Jamar Chase draft pick back in the springtime. I was not all credit, all credit to him. I called into his show the other day. He loved it right from the get-go, so give him credit for that. I was not, and could you blame me? But the, drafting him in the fifth round, with, with that fifth pick back in the spring, was a ballsy, gutty, daring choice by GM Duke Tobin and head coach Zach Taylor, and so far so good. It's uh, the, the they're they're getting the right results. They're in first place in their own division, five and two, two and zero against divisional opponents on the winning those games on the road. By the way coming within an eyelash of beating the Super Bowl contending Green Bay Packers at home. If Evan McPherson knew how to make a kick, uh, I, lo- I lo- you know, no no shade to Evan McPherson, but you know, he had he had two you had two bites at the apple to get the job done and you, and you, and he couldn't deliver the goods. I'm sorry. No 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 shade to him. I love Evan. Love him. But and the two game winning kicks, he's he's the fat Randy worries are no more. But we came within an eyelash of beating the Packers. We're two and zero against our own division on the road. I might add against two you know decent opponents in the Steelers and the Ravens. But the Ravens win, of course, being the more impressive one and the more recent one. You know, and I understand it's only you know week seven heading into week eight, and we're still and we're not you know past Thanksgiving yet, but. It says something when, you know, you're in the same conference with the Chargers, the Ravens, the Browns, the Buffalo Bills, the Kansas City Chiefs, and we're coming a little close to halfway through the season, and the Bengals, hold by tiebreaker, hold the best record in the AFC. And a huge part of that was the gutsy, unpopular decision of drafting Jamar Chase with the fifth pick. And boy, has it worked out. Again... Now I didn't come out. Now I now I had part of me a a small slither of me thought in the back of my head that that this pick may be worth it, which is why I didn't. uh, Which is why when I came on, whenever whatever show that might have been in late April, early May, didn't come on and scream out, "How could you do this?" You know, delete the franchise. Mike Brown sell the team. What are we doing? Blah 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 blah. Because because a, a small part of my brain thought, what if this guy comes in comes in as a rookie and sets the league on fire? And I'm glad that 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 three, four, five percent of my brain, you know, overpowered the remaining 97 percent, and and voiced how I disagreed with the with the decision, but didn't go nuts. Because if I would have went nuts, I'd really look like an East End for Westbound horse. Because he's the be, he be outside of Burrow being back, and outside of the defense, which has done a tremendous job, which I'll get to in a minute. 
outside of that, he is one of the he is one of the main reasons why this team's five and two. Because he has set the league ablaze. And this is after I was concerned and mortified this that this guy was gonna be a bust because he couldn't catch anything. He couldn't catch COVID if he licked the bottom of a toilet seat during training camp and in the preseason. And here I am. What are we doing? Should have drafted an offensive lineman. This guy's going to be a bust. And, he, and he's out there breaking every rookie receiving record, it seems like, known to man. And we're only seven games through the season. And it's getting compared to the likes of Randy Moss and Jerry Rice. And, deser- and deservingly so because he's playing out of his mind. Marlon Humphrey never allowed more than 143 receiving yards in his career. And he's a pro bowl, all pro corner. And he destroyed Marlon Humphrey, dropping 201 and a touchdown on his head on Sunday. I mean, come on. And 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 it's now it's 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 a mixture of him being so great. And on top of the fact that the rookie quarterbacks have been, you know, pedestrian at best, C. Mac Jones. Whether it's that, on top of the fact that, you know, that Trey Lance, and that Trey Lance has barely played in games that he has played, he's been awful. You know, Justin Fields has, has been overwhelmed with Chicago. Trevor Lawrence hasn't been great. On top of the fact that he's won, that it that it took him as recently as two weeks ago for him to win his first NFL game. On top of the fact that you know Mac Jones and the Patriots hasn't exactly you know blown your mind. On top of that, but it's also but you fact what you factor in that on top of the fact that Jamar Chase is playing out of his mind. That again, we're not even halfway through the season. And it looks like, and I don't want to jinx it, knock on wood, I don't want to jinx it, but it looks like that Jamar Chase is going to run away run away and hide with, with the Offensive Rookie of the Year award. And if Dak Prescott didn't break his ankle essentially in the same season as Burrow did, and, and, and if he didn't play for the Dallas Cowboys, Joe Burrow would be running away with comeback player of the year. And 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 and, 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 that, and that's something that's also going to bug the hell out of me too because because you know Dak Prescott's going to get all this love for for uh comeback player of the year and it's simply in my mind it's simply because he plays for the Dallas Cowboys. If he played for the Jacksonville Jaguars, I'm not I don't want to say nobody would care. But it wouldn't be as big of, but he wouldn't be as big of a story as everybody's making it out to be. And it was a gruesome injury. Don't get me wrong, but you know, break breaking breaking your ankle, and uh, breaking break breaking your ankle when you were fortunate enough to sign a contract. I mean, we knew we were getting with Dak Prescott. I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just me. But I think in my mind, if Dak Prescott wasn't a member of the Dallas Cowboys, you know, I, I don't think that everybody would be, you know, crowning him comeback. And I, he's had a phenomenal season, don't get me wrong, and the Dallas Cowboys, you know, are, uh, you know, are equal and record, record-wise. record They had a bye week this week, are, are kind of, or about equal to where the Bengals are right now, and, he, and, he's, and are running away with the NFC East, which is a weak, 
which is a weak, pathetic division. But I think if Prescott, you know, played on a Jacksonville Jaguars or played, you know, for, uh, uh, you know, the uh, the Denver Broncos, he wouldn't be as favored as he is, at least in the eyes of the media, with comeback player of the year. And Joe Burrow would be getting a lot of the love. And again, and another thing, too, if Burrow didn't tear his ACL, he would have won Offensive Rookie of the Year and not Herbert. And another thing I'm sick and tired of hearing, too, is that Herbert essentially is the only great, phenomenal, soon-to-be Hall of Fame quarterback out of the draft. Have you not seen Joe Burrow play? He's ju- he's just as good, and you can even make the argument better than Herbert. Wake up and smell the coffee, please. I mean, the the the, the, the way I mean, come on. This Bengals offense leads the league in most points scored during the second quarter, two minute drill. That's impressive. And. I mean, I don't know what I don't know what else to say. Burrow's playing out of his mind. Mixon's healthy, great contribution. C.J. Uzama has had a phenomenal season coming off of his torn Achilles last year, and Jamar Chase is just setting the football world on fire. And then you add into the fact that the, that the Bengals' defense has just done a complete 180 from last season and previous years. I mean, this is a this is a top ten defense in football. I mean, their defense is that good. Top ten defense in football from Logan Wilson, that was a phenomenal draft pick in the twenty twenty draft, linebacker out of Wyoming. Phenomenal to the phenomenal free agency signing of Trey Hendrickson from the Saints. Oh my! This I mean, this defense got sacked Lamar Jackson five times. Five times. On Sunday, that's that's tied for the most Lamar Jackson's been sacked in his young NFL career, and we're not even halfway through the season yet, and this defense has more sacks this season than it did all of 2020. They got a phenomenal pass rush, and their secondary is no slouch either. On you know, I understand that Lamar Jackson, you know, and again, this isn't to hop off the Lamar Jackson bandwagon because I, because again, I say it all the time. Outside of the two times he plays my team, I pull for the brother to succeed. But he was not. But all things being equal, and all things being fair, he was not great, not good on Sunday. Inaccurate with his throws, fall, you know, shoot, uh, his throws falling, you know, uh, at the feet of his receivers, overthrowing them. You know he had his he was 15 for 31. That's below 50 percent completion percentage for the game. Threw for a pedestrian 257 and had one nice touchdown pass to Hollywood Brown, and got sacked five times in the game. And the Bengals defense did a good job of holding him to under uh, 90 yards rushing. De- uh, Devonta Freeman, Le'Veon Bell, Tyson Williams not a factor running the football. And although Mark Andrews had a couple of nice catches in the game, they held him in check for the majority of the game, for the majority of the game too. And the Ravens have a top ten offense, not just not just running, but top ten like well-rounded passing and throwing, running and throwing the football. They held one of the, one of the top fifteen, top ten offenses in all of football. The Bengals defense held them in check. 
got after the quarterback, stopped the run tremendously, and uh, and and, the, and, the, and their secondary was off the charts. Then forced Lamar Jackson to throw an interception, but they stole but they stole painted as good of a as good of a performance as 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 as, as you could as you as you could find. Held held them to seventeen points. Seventeen only allowed them to score two touchdowns. A Devontae Freeman little goal line run, and the one big play that they allowed was the Mar- was the Marquise Brown touchdown pass. Outside outside of that, Ravens de- or excuse me, the Bengals defense pitched a perfect game in essence. Pitched a perfect game was phenomenal, and they've come a long way. They deserve some credit as well. Um, and then, of course, some coaching things with Harbaugh I did not get. And the fact that Zach Taylor, of all people, outcoached the great Harbaugh was just really damning from a Ravens perspective. I have no idea why Harbaugh punted twice in Cincinnati territory rather than going for the field goal when you got Justin Tucker, who won you a football game by kicking an NFL record 66-yard field goal against the Lions. Back in week four, week five, whatever, I had no idea on that. I have no idea why he decided to go for it on fourth and seven with 11:43 in the fourth quarter with the ball at Cincinnati's 38 when he was when the Ravens were only down 10 points at the time, coming off of the Marlon Humphrey end zone interception. I have no idea. Punt the football and put your defense back out there on the field, John. You're only down 10. You essentially got the entire fourth quarter to work with, and your defense on their on the Bengals' last offensive possession got a red zone interception, got a got a got got a turnover inside the red zone. Let your defense go out there and work, please. Pay attention, Harbaugh. Jay Wiss down ten points, fourth and seven. Plenty of eleven forty three in the fourth quarter. You got the ball at Cincinnati's thirty eight yard line. Punt the ball and, and let your defense go back out there and see if they can get another either force the Bengals to go three and out or see if they can get or see if they can force Joe Burrow to make another mistake. I mean, my goodness gracious, Harbaugh, please. I mean that that was that was dubious and very egregious. Also, again, why why they decided to punt when they were in Justin Tucker's field goal range? They were at the Bengals' 40-yard line, which would have been a 58-yard field goal for Tucker, which he can hit with a blindfold on in his sleep. Midway through the second quarter with the game tied at three, tries to go for the gusto, not even go for the gusto, but he plays ultra-conservative on that when he shouldn't have been and decides to punt the football. You're, the, in a, you're in a defensive slugfest. The game's tied at three. Midway through the second quarter, got the ball in Cincinnati's 40-yard line. 58-yard field goal, Tucker hits in a sleep, especially in Baltimore. Kick the field goal and go up 63 hardball, my goodness gracious. And and you know and and he and he and he keeps his offense out there on the field on fourth and fifteen with seven thirty four in the third quarter and I don't know I don't know what he was doing why a why would you decide to go for it on fourth and fifteen midway through the third quarter with lots of football to play why why he why he would even give the thought of going for it and when he and that and if he realized that going for it was a bad idea take the delay a game penalty and punt the football so you don't have to waste a timeout. What happens? He wastes the timeout. Ravens have two timeouts for the for the remainder of the second half. He decides to challenge the the, the Jamar Chase. Uh, fumbled down the uh, down the uh, Bengal sideline, which was 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 ruled correctly. He loses timeout there. He stuck with one timeout for the remainder of the game. So, 
he got out coached by Zach Taylor, which is something that I would have never have guessed. I'd, I'd say in two thousand, you know, heading into this, heading into this twenty twenty one season, heading into this game, Harbaugh getting out coached by Zach Taylor. I mean, it, uh, come on. I mean, I, I, screw whatever Scott Cohen and Daniel Stern is saying in your headset, Harbaugh. Punt the punt the ball, punt the ball on fourth and seven, down ten, coming off of Humphrey's interception, the one lone highlight he had in the game on Sunday. And why are you punting and why are you wasting a timeout on fourth and fifteen midway through the third quarter? Just either send the punting team out there or take the delay a game penalty. Don't waste the timeout. And why are you punting when you're in Tucker's money when you're in Tucker's field goal range at the Bengals 48 yard line, 58 yard field goal with the game tied at three midway through the second quarter? You knowing good and full well Tucker hits those field goals, especially at home, in his sleep. In his sleep. You could put a blindfold on. You could put a blindfold on him and 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 have him and have him kick ten of them, and he'd make all ten. Harbaugh getting out coached by Zach Taylor. Oy vey, my goodness gracious. Harbaugh getting out coached by Zach Taylor. Defense not getting off the field on third down, especially in the second half. The undisciplined penalties, the back-to-back false starts when essentially it was the it was the rave when the Ravens tried to give it the old uh, college cry at the end of the you know in the back end of the second half, uh, getting cooked by Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow and and missed open field tackling. Horrendous performance from a Ravens perspective, but on the, from Cincinnati Bengals standpoint, an absolutely phenomenal job. If you would have told me heading into Sunday that I don't, not only would the Bengals be competitive, but they but they mopped the floor at the Ravens, forty one seventeen. If they hadn't called the dogs off, they probably would have dropped fifty on them. I would have had you, I would have had you drug tested. But what a what a performance! What a performance! From the coaching to the defense, quarterback play, tight end play, wide receiver play, even the running backs who didn't go nuts but made a nice contribution. A phenomenal job all the way around. From the coaching staff to the players, absolutely phenomenal job. Phenomenal. I thought this game was going to go down to the wire at the looks of it when the halftime score was uh, Cincinnati up 13. And, you know, Joe Burrow working his magic in the two-minute drill heading into the second half. Again, the Bengals are are the best in football when it comes to conducting that two-minute drill heading into halftime, trying to at least get three points out of it. I thought it was going to be one of one of those uh, where we're going to go back to those all-time classic uh, Raven versus Bengal uh, throwing finishes. Turned out not to be the case. And for a change, Cincinnati was on the uh, was on the uh, good end of of these. Uh, of these uh, now familiar Bengal versus Raven blowout games, Bengals were on the positive end for it for once, which which was which is great to see. And another thing, as we close out this segment, the Bengals, my Cincinnati Bengals, were sitting at five and two, much to my surprise, but the best record in the AFC in the first place. They're undefeated. With Olivia Cowherd in attendance. Yes, sir. Olivia, next time you come to Baltimore, 
Holla at your boy. I see you, girl. One last thing. Who they say gonna beat them Bengals? All I heard all week was Bengals not gonna have a chance. Joe Burrow with the throat contusion with the crowd noise. This team's cooked. Bengals are frauds. Lamar's going to destroy him. Uh, part, of, part of me sees why, sees why. Now, I think a large part out of it, uh, the whole large reason for it is, is out of jealousy. The Ravens are a first-class organization with a phenomenal owner, and uh, his team is ran by a freaking criminal that hasn't won a damn thing in the last whatever it might be, quarter century he's been the owner of the franchise. So I think it's a little bit of a jealousy complex between Brendan and his Washington team and the Baltimore Ravens, but it's it's jealousy is one part of it. The other part of it is the fact that when the Ravens are good, boy, do they get cocky. When they're when they're on a nice little win streak, when they're on a nice little run, boy, do they boy do they get cocky and boy do they get arrogant. Not only and you and you could also tell because that perform because that game was was the Bengals absolutely walking into Baltimore. They didn't just beat them; they humiliated them. They went into Baltimore and punched the Ravens in dead in the mouth on Sunday. Maybe it's because of the fact that the Ravens, the players themselves, were feeling themselves a little bit, you know, hearing too much praise from the media and the outside world, and that kind of, you know, got to their head, whatever it might be. The arrogance and the cockiness of the, and the confidence from the fans rubbing off on them, whatever it is. Thought maybe the fact that 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 you know the you know Bengals have a nice little start to the season, but they haven't beaten beaten us in quite a while. You know this is when they this is the, this is the time. This is when they you know start coming back down to earth again. Whatever it might be, but boy oh boy oh boy, when they're riding high, boy do they get cocky, they get arrogant. Boy, boy, I, I still love me some Lamar Jackson, and the Ravens fans aren't you know to me. You know, the meanest and nastiest piece of filth fans in football. But, boy, when, when the team's winning and when they're good, boy, do they get cocky and, boy, do they get arrogant. Oh, they fool themselves. Oh, my goodness gracious. If, I, if I'd if have told you the, uh, the vitriol that I took all week leading up to that game, it'd it, 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 it raise your eyebrows. From my ENT doctor to the fans that I communicate with on social media, you know what my brother's old uh, little league teammate telling me, you know the Bengals are going to be cooked because Joe Burrow's still doing it with a throat contusion. I'm like, Wyatt, 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 yeah. Have you ever heard of a snap count? I mean, my uh, a not a snap count, but a silent count. I mean, my goodness gracious, I I think Joe Burrow's gonna when he's played when he played SEC when he you know played football at Ohio State. And transferred to LSU, having to play football games at Death Valley, Gainesville, uh, Athens, down there in Athens, Tuscaloosa with Bama, Auburn with with the Auburn. T- I, I, if he played, if he played fo- if he played his college ball at in the Big Ten and in the SEC, I'm pretty sure crowd noise isn't, isn't going to be a factor. You know he 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 had to he had to play, albeit he they had a home field advantage, but he had to, he had to win his national championship game in the Superdome, one of the loudest venues in in the sport. 
bridge uh, you know and Peyton Manning you know used uh, silent counts many a times during his uh, during his 17 year career he's in the Hall of Fame all I heard about was yeah, with the crowd noise and and I, and I get it Ravens Ravens fans are loud and, and they know how to uh, how to uh, distract and and uh, and, and becoming a nuisance to the opposing offenses, but let but let's but let's let's be fair. The the, Ra- the Ra- Ravens, there's not you know you guys are not exactly you know the twelves up in Seattle or the or the Chiefs or the Chief fan and Ar- at Arrowhead. You you can get loud, you can get noisy, but you're you're not the twelfth man in Seattle, and and you're and you're not the the you know the twelfth man in the in the rambunctious fans at Arrowhead. Let's let's be fair, because because when you, when you talk or the or the Saints fans down down Superdome, when you talk about loud loudest loudest fans in football, you think the Saints fans in the Superdome the. Chief fans in Kansas City and the Seahawks fans up in Seattle. Anyway, Bengals are five and two, and undefeated with Liv Cowherd in attendance. That's all that matters. Back right after this. Tell you something. When I was, I walked around MT Bank Stadium about twice because we got there early, and I ran into the Ravens cheerleaders twice. And good Lord have mercy, the Ohio players were singing in my head, "Fire!" Oh my goodness gracious! I mean, oh my God. She's got me burning, got me burning. Oh boy, they have me burning. Oh my goodness gracious. Oh, Ravens cheerleaders. Oh my goodness. They, I ran into them once. I thought it was going to be it, and then I walked around again, and I found them twice. I said, oh, they must have, they must have came to see me. I didn't even, get, I didn't even get an invoice. I said, y'all, y'all checking out uh, yours truly, but uh, anyway, that's neither here nor there. But my goodness gracious! So I should go to football games more often. If there's one lesson to be learned out of all this, I should go to football games more often, especially especially Bengal games because a they a they win, and not only they win, they, they you know they blow out their opponent. Um, I get to see, I get to see the uh, lovely cheerleaders up close and personal twice, and uh, one of and uh, one of my uh, many crushes also happens to show up at the games. I, I should I should go to these games more often. I'd uh, 
you know, yours, yours truly's life would be uh, would be in a lot better shape. You know, maybe maybe next year for uh, Bengals rate, maybe next year for Bengals Ravens, they uh, beat the Ravens by fifty, and uh, and I get to take a couple pictures with the cheerleaders and uh, and. Um, and uh, Joy Taylor shows up, and uh, and and inv- and I get to uh, watch the game in the suite with Joy Taylor. Anyway, I digress. Um, but the Colts, I, I tell you, I tell you, one team that's not burning, or if they're burning, they're burning in the uh, in the wrong way as far as their team nose diving into oblivion, and that is the San Francisco 49ers. And it is in large part because Kyle Shanahan has absolutely screwed over this football team. Uh, in my estimation, fooling around with the quarterback position, you know, he had an and, and it broke. It broke via social media uh, in the tabloids about a few weeks ago that the team that that Tom Brady initially wanted to go to after leaving the New England Patriots after a 19-year, 20-year period, the team that he wanted to go to, and it wasn't surprising when I heard this, is that he wanted to play for his hometown team growing up as a child in the San Francisco 49ers. He is, of course, from San Mateo, the uh, the uh, San Francisco suburb, of course, and grew up during uh, grew up and grew up during that uh, 1980 San Francisco 49er dynasty. Uh, and he originally wanted to become a San Francisco 49er when he left the New England Patriots. And the and the and Shanahan said no no thank you we'll stick with Jimmy Garoppolo. Garoppolo of course was Brady's backup for a few seasons uh, during the mid 2010s over there in New England and it started a couple of games during Brady's four game suspension with the Deflate Gate stuff. And if you recall, Brady was on the shop uh, LeBron James and Maverick Carter's uh, HBO show back in the summertime and there was this famous quote where Brady was you know was Brady was talking about uh, a team that a team that he wanted to go to and a team that had a little bit of interest in him but decided not to sign him and he said and there's a famous quote he goes really you're sticking with that M effort and it turns out the M effort ended up uh, being Jimmy Garoppolo as that Shanahan and John Lynch decided to stick with Jimmy Garoppolo all for them to offer him to get hurt and essentially miss the majority of two, of the 2020 season and be, and you know they have a bad year because they're injured the Helen back players their star players on IR and everything else and they say you know what you know what quarterback we should get and you know not not the greatest quarterback in all time Tom Brady who's a six-time champion who would love nothing more than to ride off into the sunset and win a couple of Super Bowls of uh you know, with playing playing for and playing with his favorite football team growing up as a child. No, no, we no, we won't we won't get Brady. We won't we won't get that. We won't do that. No, no, no. Uh, you know, when we originally thought that Jimmy Garoppolo was going to be our guy, you know what we're going to do? We're going to trade up in the draft and and pass up on Mac and and not draft Mac Jones, not draft Justin Fields. You know what we'll do? We'll we'll or Zach Wilson for that matter. You know what we'll do? We'll draft uh, Trey Lance, who played about a handful of games at a uh, North Dakota. At North Dakota State, 
or yeah, North Dakota State will draft him. I mean, my goodness. And it totally came back to bite the, the 49ers in the rear end. Now they're juggling. You know, it's a fan. I forget who came up with this famous quote, but it's a famous quote. It's like if you have two quarterbacks on your roster, or if you have two starting quarterbacks, or you have no quarterbacks. Because essentially they're going to, you know, on a collision course, they're going to knock each other out. And Trey Lance, who was pathetic against the Cardinals a few weeks back, he hurts himself. Now Jimmy Garoppolo's back in the saddle, who was absolutely atrocious uh, on Sunday night against the Colts in the rain. 16 of 27, 181 pass yards through two interceptions, got sacked twice through one touchdown pass in the game. I mean, he's 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 just not. He's an average. I mean, it's it's kind of like you know, the Super, the Super Bowl season was the best year he's ever had when he went on that phenomenal run, and it's been downhill and it's been all negative things from Jimmy Garoppolo since. And it's going to be on the fault of Kyle Shanahan, who has completely screwed over the 49ers and has completely fouled up the quarterback position. Had a chance to get Brady, did not, and did not, for whatever the reason, did not. And you'd think he'd learn because he was the offensive coordinator for the Falcons when Brady put together that 28 to 3 um, Super Bowl comeback against them about what five years ago now. I mean, you'd you'd think he'd learn. He want he want he didn't want him. He wanted to stick with Jimmy G. And then he when he realizes that Jimmy G isn't the long term answer for the 49ers, he goes ahead and, and with a tremendous and it was a tremendous reach, a tremendous reach in a draft in drafting uh, the uh, the mediocre at best. And I'm being kind. Uh, Trey Lance out of the uh, out of the indifferent and the and the uh, subpar let's call it like we see it subpar uh, North Dakota State University and it's come back to bite him in the ass and the 49ers are now two and four they have not won a home game uh, they have not won a home game at all this season they lost to Seattle they lost to uh, the Colts uh, and they lost the and they lost to Green Bay in the final closing second so if you want to blame any anybody for the reason why the 49ers have yet to win a home game thus far this season and why they're below 500 no look no further than Kyle Shanahan who gives off the impression and carries himself and walks around with the attitude as if he invented as if he's the ultimate quarterback whisperer as if he invented the sport and how dare you peons question me I'm the great Kyle Shanahan don't you know my father blah 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 and not his father but him personally outside of appearing in two Super Bowls in which his teams choked and blew away two second half double-digit leads in, he's done absolutely nothing as a big-time offensive coordinator or big-time uh, head coach in, in the National Football League, but blow Super Bowls left and right and have uh, subpar quarterback play uh, at the most inconvenient time. And all I hear about Kyle Shanahan, this Kyle Shanahan, that he's the quarterback whisperer, he's a, he's the OG offensive guru in the sport, nonsense. Uh, he's He has yet to win a game at home. I do not have his record in front of me. I could find it. But I, if you take away that 2019 Super Bowl season, his record as a head coach in the National Football League is, is about a dozen games below 500, maybe a little less than that. So for everybody and for Kyle Shanahan who, who thinks of himself as if he's built Walsh, that is complete hogwash. 
because he has fooled around and has screwed around and has and has screwed up and vomited the his handling of the quarterback situation where Jimmy Garoppolo is trash. Trey Lance is not that far off, and he had an opportunity to sign Tom Brady when he tested free agency for the first time in his life, and he chose not to do so. And they deserve everything they get as a result. But uh, the forty, but uh, Kyle Shanahan is on my list. You know, this is a guy that carries himself and thinks that he's the smartest guy in the room, as if he invented football and he hasn't won a damn thing in his career. Has done, hasn't done anything but blow Super Bowl leads left and right. See 28-3, Falcons and Patriots, and go see Super Bowl 44 when Mahomes and Damian Williams went up and down the field and scored nothing but touchdowns. And his, and his offense got stagnant and, 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 they couldn't, and couldn't put the ball in the end zone. I mean, enough of Kyle Shanahan. My goodness gracious. Enough. Just a couple of notes of NFL to recap Week 7, which was a lackluster Week 7, which I'll get to in a minute. Cooper Cup, first player in the Super Bowl era to have over 800 receiving yards and nine uh, receiving touchdowns in his, in his team's first seven games of a season. Devontae Adams, uh, four receptions in the first half, 596 career receptions, passed Sterling Sharp, the ex-Packer for the second most in Packer history. Donald Driver, all-time Packer leader with 743 receptions. No Devontae Adams with COVID. Uh, he will miss out on his team's Thursday night game. Uh, his team's Thursday night game against the uh, Arizona Cardinals uh, in a, coming up in a couple of days. Cardinals remain unbeaten, matched their best start in franchise history. They went started 7-0 in 1974. They take on the 6-1 Packers on Thursday. Like I said, this will be the first. It will be the first. It will be the best combined winning percentage for a Thursday night football game in October later in the Super Bowl uh, era. Brady, of course, flying high. Get the Bears off my TV for the 9,000th time. They absolutely destroyed the Bears who stink. Matt Nagy should be gone immediately. Uh, Brady, 18 passing touchdowns at home this season, the most through a team's first four home games of a season in the history of the NFL. 35 first half points in their game, their most in team history. Their previous high was 34, which they reached last season against the Lions on that road game in Detroit the day after Christmas. Uh, the Jets stink. What else is new? They went scoreless in the first quarter. Each of their first six games of the season, they had the first team to do so, so since the winless 2008 Detroit Lions. Hopefully, and no Zach Wilson, by the way, also injured his knee uh, in their loss against uh, in their loss against the uh, the Patriots in an absolute beatdown on Sunday. Hopefully, the Bengals. Uh, it should be a easy six and two for my Cincinnati Bengals going up against the Jets at the Meadowlands this Sunday. Um, and then, of course, you have uh, with the Bengals going back to them. They got three uh, sacks just in the first half alone against the Ravens. Five tackles for a loss. Um, they held the Raven. They they themselves offensively scored. Had eighteen. Rushing yards as a team in the first half put up a whopping 93 in the second half. They scored uh, 30. They scored 36 points combined in their in their previous four games against the Ravens. Dropped 41 on against them on Sunday, and Jamar Chase leads the NFL with six receiving touchdowns 
versus uh, signal co- against signal co- single coverage, man-to-man coverage. Uh, Jameis Winston, fourth start with no turnovers this season, which matches his total from the 2018-19 uh, season combined as the Saints took care of business against the Seahawks, who stink. Jason Myers can't make a field goal. Their defense against bad offenses is pedestrian at best. Without Russell Wilson, they have no offense, only put up 10 points in what was an absolute snooze fest of a Monday night football game. 11 games on Sunday were decided by an average of 20 points. That's the third largest average margin of victory uh, for a single day of game since the 70 merger. Uh, and tra- and that trails behind December the 20th, uh, 1970, that where the average margin of victory was 24 points. And October 25th, 2009, where the average margin of victory was 21 points. But again, heading into that Sunday, I told you guys that it was not going to be a fantastic Sunday of football. Turned out to be the case. Um, and even with the two games you thought would be halfway decent, Bengals-Ravens was an absolute beatdown. And Chargers, it's not Chargers, Chiefs-Titans was an absolute domination on the part of the home team in that game. Not a great uh, week. And I understand that we've been spoiled with fantastic, with fantastic entertaining games the first six weeks of the season. I get that. But that was in my, in, in my, with, uh, you know, from what I can remember in my 15 plus years of being an NFL uh, fan and a, 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 a diehard football fan, that by far, that week seven was by far the worst week collectively of uh, NFL football as far as matchups heading as far as the matchups that were that you were heading into on paper and then how the actual games ended up uh, turning out one of the worst weekends of NFL football that I can that I can ever recall uh, you know the only game you know the uh, the Monday night game was an absolute snooze fest although it came down da- although it came down by came down to a uh, field goal and the only good game that came down to the wire was the Falcons and the Pan- and the uh, Dolphins, and nobody watched that game. And down in South Beach, with uh, Koo hitting the game-winning field goal, beating the uh, the uh, Dolphins, who stink their seasons over, by a final score of thirty. To 28. I mentioned the Patriots beat down over the Jets 54-13. The Carolina Panthers are regressing. That seems to be a major problem. Sam Darnold looks like, you know, has turned back into a pumpkin. It looks like he's back to his old Jet ways. Uh, the Rams keep on rolling. Uh, Cardinals stay undefeated. Uh, anything else? Uh, the Packers uh, destroyed. Wa- the Packers destroyed Washington. Uh, what else is new? Washington stinks. Enough of them. Uh, their defense is absolutely horrendous, and their offense. All you know how I love me some Taylor Heineke, but their offense is not exactly anything to write home about uh, either. Just not a good weekend. Fantastic weekend if you were a Bengals fan, but from a uh, collective football standpoint, just as an NFL fan, not a great weekend for NFL football, and this upcoming weekend, it doesn't appear to be much better. Um, Carolina and Atlanta, I mean, those those are mediocre teams, but that's not a great matchup. Miami against Buffalo is going to be a beatdown. Buffalo's 13.5-point favorites. San Francisco at Chicago, uh-uh. Pittsburgh at Cleveland could be competitive, but only because of the fact that Cleveland's injured the Helen back, which gives Pittsburgh a little bit of a chance. If Cleveland was healthy, that game would be an absolute uh, beatdown as well. Uh, Philadelphia and the Lions, no. Uh, Tennessee versus Indianapolis has a little bit of intrigue to it. Indianapolis has played well. They're 3-4, and four, only a game below 500. And with the Titans, you know, who 
who will beat up on the Bills and the Chiefs one week and lose to the Jets or the 2020 Bengals, who had spur of example last season the next. That matchup has a little intrigue to it. Uh, the uh, Houston has no chance against the Rams. They're 14.5-point favorites. Uh, the uh, Chargers will beat the living hell out of uh, the Patriots. Uh, that no thank you, uh, and they even though then uh, that's uh, take a pass on that one. Jacksonville at Seattle. That game is an absolute bore. Uh, Washington against Denver. I'll take a pass. Tampa versus uh, New Orleans has a little bit of intrigue to it because New Orleans because that's a big time because it's a rivalry game. Uh, New Orleans did split Tampa last, or excuse me, did sweep Tampa last year, albeit with Drew Brees. But New Orleans is playing well, hell of a defense, running a nice little uh, win streak. They're four and two, couple of games back from the Saints. If they won any chance of stealing the NFC South and slowing down the Bucks, this is their opportunity. That's a decent game. Dallas at Minnesota isn't bad. That's the Sunday night game going up against the World Series. The Monday night game is going to be an absolute bore because the Chiefs. Because once the Chiefs uh, shake out the cobwebs after the first quarter, the good old Giants will find a way to derp their way all over uh, Arrowhead Field. And that game will be uh, 31-17 Kansas City all over uh, But you know, before you bat your eye. And uh, Bengals versus the Jets should not be uh, an uh, intriguing football game, at least one would hope. But the Thursday night game by far is the best one of the weekend, and even that game takes a little bit of a hit because you get no Alan Lazard and no Devontae Adams because of COVID. Alan Lazard, stupidly, is not vaccinated, so he will miss a large amount of time. And Devontae Adams is trying to, you know, see if he can get the two negative COVID tests within the 24 hours. But it seems unlikely he is vaccinated, but it seems unlikely that he will play on on Thursday night. And that, by far, is the best game of uh, of week eight is the uh, is the is the undefeated Cardinals going against the six and one uh, is going up against the six and one Green Bay Packers winner of this game arguably well not arguably winner of this game will I would imagine would be crowned as best team in the NFC Arizona keeps their crown and improves the eight and zero if they win if the if the Packers win they dethrone the only undefeated team remaining in football and both teams will be seven and one with Green Bay having the advantage over Arizona for best record in the NFC. The combined record between these two teams, like I previously mentioned, one of the best that has been heading into a Thursday game in October or later, with the combined record of the of these two teams being at 13-1, and one, Arizona six-and-a-half-point favorites. As we stand as far as the National Football League is concerned, take a break, get to some baseball to close out the program. You're listening to the I'm Telling Katerias podcast on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor.fm, and uh, I think that's it. Okay, back after this. Welcome back to the Amatelica TIS podcast. Switching gears now, wrapping up with some, a little bit of baseball talk. Before I recap Game 1 of the World Series and look forward to Game 2, just to tie a bow on the uh, AL and NLCSs. 
Uh, bottom line, why the Dodgers and the Red Sox aren't here, do the Red Sox first, is simply because the Red Sox just couldn't hit. Uh, it was all downhill after last Diaz incorrectly ruled, uh, ruled that pitch uh, in the latter innings of, I think that was either game four or game five last, last week. Uh, he ruled it a he ruled it a ball instead of a strike, and essentially, the uh, all hell broke loose. On top of the fact that the uh, that the Red Sox couldn't hit, you go back, uh, you go back and look at Game Six on on uh, no, not the fifteenth. Uh, it was on um, today's the twenty seventh go back Friday the 22nd. So you go back and look at game six on Friday night. I mean, the Red, Red Sox only got two two hit two hits, zero runs. Couldn't hit game six. Go back and look on uh, on Wednesday, in which they got smacked 9-1, to one, uh, in, in which they got smacked 9-1 to one in game five. One run on three hits. They 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 simply couldn't hit. And then you and then you that game it was game four. That's what it was. Game four in that uh in that seven run top of the ninth inning. Red Sox two hits or excuse me two runs on five hits, and they left a eleven men on base and went over and went over nine with runners in scoring position. The reason why the Red Sox aren't here and they had a successful season. They had a great season. This is this was a team that opened up the twenty twenty one season getting swept by my Baltimore Orioles at Fenway, and toward in the last full in the last and and you fast forward to the last uh, week of September they lost two out of three against my Orioles when they came to Baltimore and their season was hanging and their season and their postseason hopes were hanging on by a thread. So they've had a phenomenal season. All things being considered, they won over ninety games. You know they beat the Yankees, which they beat the Yankees in the postseason, which they've done constantly in during the span of the last seventeen years. They were gutty and showed tremendous grit and showed tremendous fight against their against the division rival uh, Tampa in the ALDS with those walk with the uh, with the walk off sacrifice fly with Kike Hernandez and and uh, and of course the walk off home run in that classic game. On uh, in that classic game three on uh, on that classic game three on October the tenth with uh, with Vasquez with the with the walk off two run home run in the bottom of the thirteenth inning they've had a phenomenal season but the reason why they aren't here is the fact that they couldn't hit and when you can't hit I understand good pitching stops good hitting any day of the week but you know but you pitching but pitching alone can't score runs for you your offense. And your lineup uh, has to get a couple of timely hits, and you got to be able to hit and score some runs with runners in scoring position, which is what the Red Sox failed to do. And then, of course, on the Dodgers side of things, you know, you thought that this, you thought that, and I tweeted it out, and Mr. And you know, old takes exposed, you know, take your crack at me. I immediately tweeted after the after the uh, Dodgers got off the deck in Game Four. Uh, what was it? It was either Game Four or Game. Three. Three. Let me double. I believe it was game. Yeah, it was game three when they got off the deck in game three when Cody Bellinger hit that hit that game tying uh, home run in the bottom of the eighth inning, and then Mookie Betts came up right behind him and scored the uh, go ahead run in the in that bottom of the eighth that rally. I said to my, I tweeted, I was like, Dodgers going to win this series. 
Like the same old Braves are going to choke again. Dodgers with the tremendous toughness which they've shown the last couple of years, uh, you know, they 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 they're going to win this game. They're going to win this game. They're going to win this series. They they win the game two one and two one Atlanta, and then they come off of that tremendous uh, emotional victory. And then they don't show up in game four and get knocked around all over the ballpark, lose the game 9-2. Can't hit, score two runs on four hits. They commit an error. Arias was, was horrendous. Braves hit the ball all over the place in Dodger Stadium, and then third and then Thursday, you know, Atlanta has a chance to you know clinch their first to clinch their first World Series berth since 1999 and win the NL pennant, and they don't show up. You know, they have a two nothing lead top of the first inning, and then the Dodgers come out there and explode with a three run bottom of the second, score a run in the bottom of the third, a two run bottom of the fifth. And a four-run bottom of the eighth with a uh, with scoring a run in the bottom of the seventh mixed in, and they get destroyed eleven to two. As the Dodgers keep their season alive for at least one more game, and then they sh- and then they show up to uh, and then they show up head back to Atlanta, which and and to be quite frank, if the Dodgers expected to win this series without win- uh, with while not winning a game in Atlanta, they were sadly mistaken. Atlanta had a home field advantage because they won their division and, you know, which is something that baseball needs to change. Atlanta won 88 games. The Padres won, uh, not the Padres, but the Dodgers won about, what, 100 and won uh, about 106, I believe it was, in the regular season. And the and the Braves won 188, albeit the Braves won their division, but, they, but the NL East was garbage and the and the NL West, the Dodgers had to fight tooth and nail to the last day of the regular season in order for them to, uh, in order for the NL West division champion to be crowned. But the Dodgers, the reason why they won, why they lost this series is because they couldn't, is because they couldn't win in Atlanta. They got walked off twice, back to back in games one and two, and then they, and then they returned to, and then they returned to Atlanta uh, in game six, a game again that they had to have facing elimination one one more time once again and they couldn't get the job done and lost and lost four to two you throw into the fact that they couldn't win in the three games they played in Atlanta you throw that into the equation of the fact that they that they lied down and died and essentially let all the momentum go up and go up and smoke go up go up and you know all their momentum was vaporized coming off of that emotional win to uh coming off of that emotional win to make it 2-1 Atlanta in that game in that game 3 and then go out there in game 4 and lay a and lay a big fat egg and let uh Cody Ballinger and Mookie Betts's late inning heroics uh go in vain that's why that's why they lost that series. They did not carry the they did not use that momentum off of that emotional and dramatic game 3 victory. They let that momentum live and die with that game 3 and did not have the momentum carry over to game 4, losing that game in Dodger Stadium that they had no business losing and then on the road in games 1 and 2 and in game 6 they were a completely different ball club and couldn't get the job done at Truist Park. That's why the Dodgers are going home, or that's why the Dodgers have been home for the last couple of days and not playing in yet another World Series. They did not them their momentum from that from that fantastic game three did not carry over into game four, which they lost a game that they had no bit. Even if the Braves would have won, even if the Braves would have won the series regardless, 
They had no. They had no. The Braves had zero business winning that game for 24 hours. Less than that after Bellinger and Betts's uh, late inning heroics in that eighth inning, and the fact that the Dodgers laid an egg in games one and two to open up the series in Atlanta, and they couldn't get the job done to force a game seven on Saturday night, losing uh, four to two. That's that's what that's that's why the Braves are 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 uh, you know still playing and the Dodgers are at home. On top of the fact that this team was injured to Helen Beck, on top of the fact that Dave Roberts mismanaged his bullpen and uh, and wore out, and wore out his entire starting pitching staff, that's why that's why the Dodgers are home. And I understand that you know that they had to fight tooth and nail to they had to fight tooth and nail to uh, to try to win the division, which which end up for naught. And they had and and the Giants took and the Giants you know took them to the ends of the earth in order to uh, you know for that best of five five game series against the Giants in the opening round. But their season is a failure. Their see, you know, their season is a, is a failure. They won over a aisle. I understand they didn't, they didn't win their division, but they won over a hundred games. Got nothing to show for it. Braves, Braves won eighty eight during the World Series. You know, and 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 and, and, and also goes to show you, especially in especially in baseball, you know, the best team record wise throughout the regular season, they don't always they don't always win a championship. And to make it extra cruel, the Blue Jays, the Blue Jays and the Mariners won over 90 games this past season, this past regular season, this season in 2021. Blue Jays won 91, Mariners won 90. They didn't play a game 163 or a game 163 4, 5, 6, 7 their season ended on what October Sunday October the 3rd Mariners won 90 games Blue Jays won 91 more games than the Braves won in the regular season they won 88 Braves are in the World Series Mariners and Blue Jays didn't even make the playoffs. Braves had the twelfth best regular season record, and they are currently three wins away from winning the twenty twenty one MLB championship. Blue Jays and Manners won ninety ninety one games. Didn't get a chance to see a wild card game. Harsh reality of sports. It's why you love it. It's why you hate it. Because in a fair world, <laughs> the, the the Braves aren't playing in a World Series and they failed to win 90 games, while the Manners who won 91 and the Blue Jays who won 90 didn't play. You know, their season ended the same day that the 110 lost Baltimore Orioles did, and that was on Sunday, October the 5th. But from a pop, but if you want to look at it, if you want to look at it with a you know with a silver lining perspective, and if you want to add some positivity to it, it just go it goes to show that the American League uh, was by far the much better and the much more competitive uh, conference, so to speak, than the National League was.
American League had two teams that won over 90 games that failed to make the postseason. Think about that for a minute. Two teams that won over 90 games failed to make the postseason. In the American League East, in the American League East, you had one, two, three, four teams win over 90 games in that division. Blue Jays, Yankees, Rays, Red Sox. Four out of five teams in the AL East alone won over 90 games, and three out of the five in the AL East made, made the postseason. The team that you know, the last place team in the the last place team in the AL Central, uh, won seventy three games, and the Minnesota Twins. Three teams in the AL West won more than eighty three games. Two of them won ninety plus. Seattle won ninety. Houston won ninety five. So if you want to take Blue Jay and Mariner fans, you want to take it from a positive standpoint, you play you play in a much stronger and a much more competitive league than than the Braves do in the National League. What you get out of this? American League, as of as of right now in this moment in time, they're a better quote unquote conference, so to speak, than the National League. American League had one, two, three, four. Five, six, seven teams went over 90 games. National League only had one, two, three, four. Cardinals and Brewers, Dodgers and Giants. But anyway, I digress. Looking, uh, or excuse me, recapping game one of the World Series from Tuesday night. Braves took care of business six to one. Have to overcome yet another injury. Charlie Morton, who went, who actually pitched a, pitched an inning of work on a broken leg, which is hard to believe. Just shows you adrenaline is a is a, cra- is a crazy thing. Um, overcame another injury. Dominate game one. Astros couldn't hit. They only scored two. They scored two runs on eight hits. They left. Uh, they left nine men on base, went one for nine with runners in scoring position. Valdez did not have his best stuff, got rocked early, only made it through two innings, gave up eight hits on five runs. Walked the batter, gave up two home runs in a game, only struck out two. As uh, Soler went two for five, went two for five, uh, went two for five in the ball game. Eddie Rosario, who's had a phenomenal postseason, went two for five in the game as well. Soler homered off of Valdez in the first inning, and Duvall homered later on in the third inning. A uh, two-run home run, which uh, which was a part of the uh, which was a part of the Atlanta Brave. Uh, two run, they had a two-run top of the first, one run top of the second, two-run top of the third, and that was all she wrote as they take Game One uh, by the final score of six to two. Uh, the Astros, you know, you'd figure you know, they didn't hit well against the Red Sox the other night. Uh, they didn't hit well against the Red Sox on Friday night. We'll see if their bats will wake up as the series uh, moves uh, moves along. Atlanta again going to have to fight through another injury, go another obstacle, another uh, item of adversity. As now you won't have Charlie Morton for the remainder of this World Series with the with a fracture in his uh in his in his in his leg. So we'll see if the Braves, you know, who have been scrappy, who have been tough mentally and physically tough all season long, we'll see if they can get off the deck and uh, and look adversity in the face one last time, and tell and uh, and tell it to go stick it, as they are three wins away 
from winning the 2021 MLB championship, which is uh, hard to believe after all these teams gone through losing losing uh, Acuna Jr. in July, winning only winning 88 games, being above 500 for the first time all year back in August, and here they are uh, three wins away from winning a championship. And then, and then, of course they have much better pitching staff than the Astros do. And then the Astros, you know, it's just a matter of their bats getting off the deck waking up and showing a little bit of fight is showing a little bit of grit once they do they're going to be okay but the astros astros don't hit they have no chance because eddie rosario can do no wrong freddie freeman is just an absolute is just an absolute beast at the plate ozzy Abis, i mean eh, the braves can do no wrong and the astros unless they want unless they want to you know have their season end in four in a, in a four game sweep or in a short five game series they gotta they gotta find a way to hit altuve 0 for 5 not good enough uh correa 0 for 3 not good enough uh, they, they need Correa and Altuve to hit if they want any shot in this series. Uh, Bregman as well went 0 for 4 last night, uh, struck out twice. It's not championship baseball. So the Astros need Bregman, Altuve, and Correa to turn things around in their lineup. And this should be, and they should be in good shape for the rest of the series. And just shout out to Alex Anthopoulos, the GM for the Braves, who has, just, who has done an absolutely phenomenal job, especially at the trade deadline. July 30th, he traded, he got Eddie Rosario. He with the Eddie Rosario Pablo Sandoval trade on July the 30th, getting Eddie from the Cleveland Indians who has done nothing but hit all postseason long. Got Adam Duvall from the uh, from the Miami Marlins on that same day, and got Jorge Soler from the from the Kansas City Royals on that same day as well. In in exchange for Casey Kalick, all three of those guys and Jock Peterson, the uh, the. Uh, he revamped the outfield essentially, dealing with uh, with the Marcelo Suna with the domestic violence issues, Roberto Acuna, Robert Acuna Jr. with the torn ACL, done a fantastic job revamping the outfield with those trades with the Indians, uh, Royals, Marlins, and Cubs getting Jacques Peterson on July 15th. Uh, from the Cubs in exchange for Bryce Ball. Absolutely phenomenal job. All four of those guys has, has made a phenomenal and positive uh, contribution, not just at the plate, but also defensively in the outfield. And those Anthopolis conducting the trades and those four guys are the reason why the Atlanta Braves are National League champions and are sitting here playing in the World Series. Phenomenal job by the front office, and the trades have have been out to be an absolute uh, success with the contributions of Rosario, uh, Jacques Peterson, and the fellas as we look toward as we look ahead towards Game Two on Wednesday night. By the way, in case you didn't see it, I tweeted it out before this before the game started. I got I believe I had the Astros winning this series uh, in six games, but anyway. Uh, take that prediction for what it is worth. And that is your show in another episode of the Amtelectia's podcast in the books. If you're new to the program and you like what you heard, uh, please subscribe. It would be greatly appreciated. Follow the show on Instagram at Amatella underscore podcast and the show on Twitter at Amatel underscore it T-I-S. It is your boy Jai Shield. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield if you haven't already. I will talk to you guys on Friday. Enjoy the NBA or the NHL, whichever suits your fancy, and game two of the World Series. See you.